Welcome to the Rock is George podcast. I'm your host, George Dion. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to hit like, follow, or subscribe on the platform that you're listening to us on. You can also check out my work at the loudest.com on the planet, knac.com, for exclusive hard rock and heavy metal interviews, live show coverage, album reviews, and more. My guest for episode 166 is musician Malcolm Bruce. He is the son of the late bassist and vocalist of the British supergroup Cream. Malcolm plays a big part in the upcoming release Heavenly Cream, an acoustic tribute to Cream, out on November 3rd through Quarter Valley Records. Together with a who's who of legendary rock and blues musicians, Malcolm covers some of Cream's most well-known songs and fan favorites, and even B-cuts. Joining Malcolm on the release is Joe Bonamassa, Deborah Bonham, Paul Rogers, Peter Bullock, Nathan James, the late Bernie Mardson, Maggie Bell, Rob Cass, Clem Clemson, and of course, members of his dad's band Cream, the late Ginger Baker, and longtime lyricist, the late Pete Brown. And here's Malcolm Bruce to tell you more about it. So today we're talking about Heavenly Cream, an acoustic tribute to Queen, which comes out November 3rd on Quarto Valley Records. Before we get into the album itself, if I knew absolutely nothing about Cream, how would you describe the band's music to me? Okay, it's a power trio. Um, it's classic rock in the sense of the era that it came from, but it's got a little difference great songwriting rooted in the blues um but uh a band famous for its improvisational skills uh stretching out material um having said it's rooted in the blues it's also my father's uh classical and jazz roots uh, come through as an influence and ginger baker the drummer uh was a jazz an incredible jazz drummer um so you kind of hear uh lots of disparate elements uh but with obviously one of the great guitarists of our time eric clapton um playing as well so yes i don't know whether that's a simple explanation and, and there's a lot going on in it but they wrote some incredible hit records that have, uh, stood the test of time are still played on the radio uh they've become kind of blues rock standards and it's one of a few bands that everything was built on subsequently you know uh cream the who zeppelin the kinks i guess um the stones the beatles you know there's that kind of proto uh proto metal proto hard rock it all came from it was all rooted in these british bands that stole all the american music and resold it back to america <laughs> I think one of the interesting things about Cream is is they didn't put out a lot of music. There was four albums, but legendary players in your father, Jack Bruce, Eric Clapton, Ginger Baker, and Pete Brown, of course, a major contributor to this songwriting. Why do you think that this music has preserved over the decades with such little input, uh, little output, rather? Well, I mean, I, I still think, like, looking back at how many songs they did produce in this tiny amount of time four records um and, and just a two and a half year existence but so they did pretty well they were pretty prolific all things considered i think you know um 
but I, but I don't know. I mean, it's hard to pinpoint exactly. I think it's just timing that there was a particular time in popular music where everything converged. Uh, the baby boomer generation, um, the hippie movement, uh, you know, exploring alternative ways of seeing the world, alternative ways of being. Um, and there was a kind of just a little moment in time. I'm not sure that it lasted really uh, a little moment in time where there was that sense of possibility and people were taking risks in music and beyond. Um, and they were kids. Uh, they were, there's probably a little unconscious, which naive, which is sort of that's always quite useful for uh, for music, especially popular music, I think. Uh, there has to be that innocence and co the arrogance of youth, all of those things, you know. Um, and, you know, as I say, I think we're all very, we're, it's a different world now. We're all much more cynical in that sense. You know, we, we, um, you know, we have, we think of a record, you know, 18 months in advance and, you know, we have to work with agents and we have to, you know, come up with branding and come up with huge budgets to sort of push ourselves into the marketplace and, and then it was just, hey, man, let's, I mean, I'm simplifying it because obviously there was still an industry, but the industry was a lot simpler then. And I think maybe there was less distance between being an artist and the public receiving that. And there was probably a little less content to wade through. Um, so, yeah, I mean, nowadays, how do you have a hit record and how do you have a song that people even listen to more than 12 seconds of? Uh, if you're lucky, they get past the the two adverts on youtube before they get to hear the beginning of the song if it's youtube or whatever yeah so i mean we, we're confronted with so many things now aren't we in that sense like even getting to listen to a song or getting to see a music video um we have kind of specialism but we also have the markets kind of cornered by um a corporate machine that unless you're at the top tier of that it's quite hard to compete so so yeah, simpler times perhaps means that those songs were more prevalent. Um, but you know, it's just different time, a different vibration in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> so whose idea was it to put together this heavenly cream project? Was it Bruce Quadro at the label or was it yourself or someone else? Let me fix my light first though. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought that was just mood lighting. Okay. So um, actually it was Pete Brown, the cream lotus who, I'm sure you know sadly passed away earlier this year um so pete was talking to mike carden who is the anr guy at uh, bruce's label quarter valley um they were talking about uh pete brown's documentary called white rooms and imaginary westerns which still hasn't seen the light of day that's been on that's been coming forward for a while which is a, a documentary about pete's life in music and as a poet and as a songwriter and a lyricist um that documentary has Martin Scorsese, Eric Clapton, my dad, Ginger Bay, like everybody that Pete collaborated with in his life is in that documentary. So that's coming out at some point. So they were talking about that. And then I think Pete and Mike started chatting about other possibilities and thought, well, hey, why don't we do a why don't we do a, an acoustic tribute to Cream um, so that we're not competing with the original records? We're taking a fresh approach on on the whole thing. And um at that point. Pete uh, got in touch with Mark Waters, who ended up being the director and editor of the documentary that goes alongside this record, Heavenly Cream, that's coming out at the same time, or I actually believe it's already streaming 
Um, that's called the, uh, the cream acoustic sessions. So that's a feature length documentary. So he got in touch with Mark, got in touch with me and, uh, Rob Cass, the producer. And then we just, from that point, we had our little core group and we started reaching out to artists to see who might want to get involved. And we got Bernie Marsden, another guy that's just passed away. What a you know, lovely, lovely person. So once we got Bernie, that started to open more doors because everybody loved Bernie and he had a good, you know, he had a friendship with Joe Bonamassa, which made it much easier for us to, to, you know, chat to him and see if he was up for doing it, which he was ginger. We all, obviously we all knew ginger. So we, we uh, contacted him and he agreed to come in. So, yeah, it was really Pete, you know, Pete was the instigator. You had some of these great musicians on uh, the label, uh, Deborah Bonham and Pete Bullock are on that label, Paul Rogers, some, some great yeah. people at Puerto Valley Records. Absolutely. I mean, Paul, obviously, incredible, legendary person. Um, so it was great that he agreed to do it. And and Deborah and Peter, yeah, I mean, Deborah's amazing too. And Peter's been around forever. Uh, well, not, not forever. That's, I don't want to say that. No, but actually, funnily enough, a friend of mine, Terry, um, a bass player who passed away quite a few years ago now, maybe eight or 10 years ago. And and I was a friend of mine was messaging me and sent me a photo of Peter with my friend Terry in a band in the, I don't know, 90s or something. So it's all it's all full circle. Like there's all these connections with everybody. Um, so, yes, I mean, Deborah Bonham, amazing. And I share a little bit of affinity with her in the sense that we're related to really famous people, but we're also doing our own thing too. So, um, so I kind of understand, um, that, that sentiment and how you balance that, you know, your love and respect for, uh, your relatives in her case, her brother and my kiss, my dad and balancing that with also going, I'm also a person too. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's lovely, you know? Yeah. So it's lovely, you know, and, and I think, we were we were very lucky to get a, a group a really good group of people to contribute um on the record and and everybody was there it felt like the energy that everyone was bringing was a really positive did anyone reach out to clapton well i think pete did um and eric decided not to do this record but we actually just finished pete's solo record called the shadow club before he passed away so that's coming out next year on another label um and eric does play on that record so i don't know what eric's thinking was but from the outside he was more than happy to contribute to pete's record which was an original you know new songs as opposed to covering himself <laughs> on this record so so uh yeah i mean that's the thing you know eric's still out there performing and plays the the cream songs in his set and all of that kind of stuff so kind of makes sense that he would not necessarily want to do this record but but the the stuff that he did for pete's record uh i'm playing bass on that um on that song it's called the shadow club and it's just gorgeous what eric did uh lovely lovely playing so um so yeah he's uh Love Eric. Gotta love Eric. Amazing guy. <laughs> um, as you mentioned, uh, Bernie Marsden and Pete Brown passed away earlier this year. So this kind of turns into a, a tribute to them uh, as well as a tribute to Cream. Yeah. And Ginger, um, you know, obviously this has been 
quite a long time in the making. We started back in 2018. Um, by the time we were ready to launch, we, we sort of hit the pandemic in early 2020. So I think the label, um, w- waited for what they felt was the right time. They were working other projects and then, um, decided to do it at this point. It feels great. So, so five years has passed and, and Ginger passed away. Pee Wee Ellis passed away, who's also on the record, uh, from James Brown's band. Um, so we lost quite a few people, and I think you're right. I think it's become a little historical document of uh, these guys, these amazing people that um, obviously not only, you know, this is a nice little project, but, you know, they have all of their careers, and it's incredible what those guys achieved. And then we sort of captured them towards the end of their lives and careers. So, yeah, it's really special in that sense that we, you know, it's Ginger's final ever recording session and it's in abbey road and we filmed it professionally properly with a proper film crew and so you know it's it's a lovely document in that sense of the great ginger um and he didn't let us down i mean he's the playing is gorgeous you know it's absolutely beautiful what he contributed so it's great you took on a large role on this project you play multiple instruments you sing you, you do a lot here uh Obviously, um, you're you're multi-talented. And st- did you start music at an early age and just kind of develop from one instrument to the next, and then eventually hone in your singing and whatnot? Well, yeah, I'm still. It's a daily uh, process for me um, of development as a writer, uh, composer, or whatever you want to call it, um, but also as an instrumentalist. And so I'm practicing. Um, you know classical piano repertoire and i'm studying harmony and and counterpoint and uh you know it's just an ongoing uh development and i think that's what an artist tends to do you know uh, we tend to want to keep exploring and stay humble in that process and that i never think i've arrived at something because i might have achieved one thing but then the next thing opens up and um so yes, from a very early age, I mean, I was lucky, or it was just the way my life was. I was born into a family of, you know, with music. That was what we did. You know, we had pianos and guitars and basses lying around the house, and musicians turning up, and uh, my dad playing. And then, as I got older, I started playing with my my dad and uh, playing music with him and um, talking to him about music and going to his shows and. So from around the age of five or six, I think I started playing the piano around the age of five. And then about the age of nine, I started playing the bass guitar and then the electric guitar at the age of 10, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it's just always been part of my life. And, you know, by about nine, I knew that's what I was going to do. Um, was it a sensible choice? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's a, a rocky road the music life you know in that sense but i think if that's who you are you have no real choice um of course i have done other jobs along the way of certain times when i've needed to survive um so uh but that's all part of it too isn't it you know it's like you've got to have something to express as an artist um depending on what kind of artist you are you know it's interesting i mean that it's a fundamental question you know is it art for art's sake you know art can be oh the mechanics the building blocks of harmony and how notes go together and um 
and uh you know the mechanics of that but the, but art can also be you know about the human condition and struggle and and experience um so it's quite subjective in that sense but i think if we look through history probably the greatest art has been created by people through struggle and it's an awful thing to say because i don't really want anybody to struggle you know including myself <laughs> but it, it you know i think whether it's the blues um and it's the blues is it, it brings a, a message of hope actually you know ultimately it's not about i lost my woman and my home and my guitar too but i but it's sort of but i've still got my love for the world and for the people in it and still got that hope that'll see me through and so that seems to be the sentiment in the blues from a you know from a conceptual point of view um but more than that it's an emotional expression isn't it really i think um so all music i don't know it's it's really hard to pinpoint but uh yes from an early age i was i was going to be a musician it was inevitable and i if i'm going to blame anyone it's my dad so there you go <laughs> so when you went in to record these songs uh did you record as the group of musicians that appear on the song or did everybody go in at different times and producer rob cash just buttoned it all up together mostly we were all in the room together and then as is the case with modern recording you tend to you tend to track uh as a as a group and then fix things that might need fixing you know oh i could i just replace that bar or and you know also sometimes you will want to redo the lead vocal or do it or overdub a a guitar solo um or etc so, you, you know so but for the vast majority we were all in the room together so for the sessions with joe bonamassa and ginger we were in uh studio two the famous abbey um beatles room in abbey road um the only one that i wasn't with as far as i remember was paul rogers he tracked his vocals separately and i think that was just a practical consideration that he was probably in america i think he was in america so he did that in a separate studio but the actual track the rest of the tracks were all recorded at the same time so born on a bad sign that he sings on was tracked as a band and then he put the vocals on top um just don't tell anybody that's all <laughs> no but yeah it's it's interesting and especially we tend to as you say like when it's done like that the producer puts it all together that that can be a, you can get an incredible result that way but it is a different process and i think we still haven't beaten that synergy of human beings getting into a room and you know uh breathing the same air and um playing together and what emerges from that is something with energy with a certain kind of energy uh that's three-dimensional um so yeah different processes but we were lucky you know we were lucky that we could go into abbey road one of the great studios and um and have some fun and uh we were we did pretty good i mean we you know we didn't mess around you know uh rob's good producer in that way he's very kind of okay come on what's next uh but in a nice way not in a sort of uptight way but um it's quite good to work like that you know you do two or three takes of a song and then you you move on you know you don't spend all month like 
why don't we spend six weeks on the snare drum sound and then um you know i mean there's the famous there's famous stories of um and they're brilliant records but the famous stories of bands like Def leopard recording guitar chords each string separately so you know you've got six strings on a guitar but you would tend to strum a chord like that and record it but they would strum the chord they would play each individual note of this chord and multi-track it that way i'm not sure if that's true but if it is true good on them because the records sound great <laughs> but we didn't take that approach when it's someone else's money it's easy to do stuff like that yeah and you know i mean there would it was probably a different time if it's the 80s they were you know oh how much do you need to make a record oh it's, 742 million dollars oh okay that's fine yeah, yeah we'll we'll write the check but now it's uh yeah it's a different world economically and um you know i'm making my own record i'm in the middle of making a record at the moment and i'm here in my little studio and i've got pro tools on my laptop and i've got some outboard gear and some guitars and amps and microphones but i don't need to go i mean it's really great to go in a studio and i do that to track certain things or drums or whatever but a lot of the time you can save money these days um, by just having your own little home studio and you can get it as long as you know what you're doing, you can get a great sound. So uh, it is a different game these days um, because I guess partly because back in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, people were buying records, buying CDs, you know, oh, I sold two million cds and whatever that equates to in terms of what the artist gets and what the record label gets now i think it's if you get a million streams on spotify it's something like three thousand dollars so you can do the math you know um if you get 10 million that's thirty thousand dollars so you know to get 10 million streams on spotify i don't know i mean it's doable right maybe <laughs> <laughs> but that's still a lesson uh you know a guy working in Starbucks gets it per year. So, you know, it's like, it's tricky. You, it, as a modern day artist, unless you're at the top, top level where you're selling out stadiums, um, it's a, it's a job, you know, you're a working musician and you have to diversify and, and, uh, live playing live is still where you make your you know it's where you make your money um and th obviously that's it's tricky it's uh it's a tricky time to get people to come out to shows because of economics or whatever but anyway we remain positive because <laughs> uh what else am i gonna do <laughs> one of the one of the surprising names as far as musicians were concerned i saw in here was nathan james i mean a lot of the interviews i do are in the hard rock and metal category and uh nathan james is a big uh hard rock metal guy it's in inglorious and mm. a bunch of other projects uh how did how did he get pulled into all these blues and classic rock uh legends well i mean nathan's amazing um well the thing is with nathan is that he plays that game the hard rock game because he's so great at it but he's so diverse he, you know he can do anything he can sing pop he can he's an actor you know in that sense uh and i think all great singers well a lot of great singers tend to be able to do that they can jump in and out of different styles modify the their technical approach to singing create different tones um he's just fantastic so i the first time i met nathan was i with pete brown i curated a, a tribute to my dad in 2016 in london we did uh we put on a show at uh, shepherd's wish empire which is a 
an iconic theatre venue in London, in West London. And um, myself and Pete spent sort of nine months uh, doing a similar process to this record, like reaching out to artists that had worked with my father. And we had Mick, Mick Taylor and uh, Lulu and all kinds of amazing people, Terry Reid, uh, loads of people that knew my dad and worked with him. And I think somebody just approached me at some point and said, hey, you, you should have Nathan on the show. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that guy from The X Factor, you know, because he'd been, had a little bit of exposure on TV, British television. And, you know, and so we kind of said, yeah, okay, that's great. So he came and uh, sang. We did um, we did a version of Spoonful with uh, Gary Husband, the drummer on on playing drums um steve steve hackett on guitar me on bass nathan singing um and then he also did something with trevor horn who came along as well uh the famous producer who's produced seal and frankie goes to hollywood and all kinds of people and sang trevor himself sang with yes at one point um so yeah it was amazing and fantastic and so from that point we all just kind of stayed in touch um and when this record started to come together, I think uh, it made sense to ask him. And I think Pete and Rob Cass, uh, the producer, reached out to him and he agreed to come in and do it. So it was great. You know, and um, yeah, he's fantastic. Again, he's like an underrated. I hope he gets where he deserves to be. You know, it's a it's a funny time, isn't it? Like somebody with that kind of voice, you would imagine like everybody would be talking about him on on a sort of world level. I think it could still happen for him. It, he deserves that kind of uh, exposure. It's just strange, isn't it? Strange kind of everything's in little pockets. Um, I, you know, I kind of, I traverse all of it in my own way and I'm sort of do my own thing. So I'm not, I'm not reading all the hard rock metal magazines. Maybe he is a big, big, big name in that scene. He's getting uh, there. Yeah. I mean, Inglorious are fantastic. Every time I hear them, whenever they bring out a new record, I'm like, wow, that's really cool. So um. So yeah, we were lucky to have him and and he's a great guy and he's just, you know, as you know, he's one of those people that brings a, a really positive energy to anything he does. And um, so it was nice that he came in and and did that with us. It was great. Yeah. You mentioned there's a documentary that goes along with this. Is this a documentary that kind of shows you guys putting together this album or is there a little more to it? Yes, it's definitely um, it filmed uh, performances in the studio um of us rehearsing recording etc uh, so that's really lovely that we've got you know ginger baker and bernie and all these people that are no longer with us but it's also and also um interviews and fly on the wall footage i mean the, to be totally honest i haven't seen it um and i'm a bit scared to watch it in the sense that i was there you know <laughs> and i'll be like no can we just can we do that again? Uh, how, you edited it like that. It, no, you got the wrong, my wrong side of my face. Can you just try a different shot there? No, like that's the problem with not being in complete control of everything. <laughs> with something like this, it's interesting. And it's, especially because it's so, there's going to be a lot going on in the documentary. So I've kind of taken the uh, approach of like some actors, I guess they would say, okay, I'm in the process. And I was really happy and satisfied uh, with what I 
felt happened in that process but i'm not going to actually sit down and watch the finished thing because i might i might get upset <laughs> but i hope people enjoy it i mean it's you know it certainly became this you know wonderful historical moment where all these people got together and um and uh made a little bit of magic so you know i'm i'm hoping that the document i mean i've seen little clips and it's great it's beautifully shot um johnny depp apparently never watches his movies once he's finished shooting them so uh and there's probably other people that are similar like they just don't enjoy seeing themselves in that way so uh but yes i'm sure there's lots going on in it and um it probably is quite insightful it shows us all in a particular light um as we say like breaking through the fourth wall you know so uh um so good luck when you watch this. <laughs> with this particular album you're revisiting your dad's early career but you also had the chance to contribute to your father's later solo career you appeared on his albums from 2000 and 2014 so i'd imagine this was an enriching experience for you maybe not at the time but looking back that you had that moment with your dad yeah i think those the sort of gestation of emotion especially when you lose your parent you know i think i mean it's something we all go through or most of us do it's that's the timeline of it you know um and it's the right way to be you know you do your parents leave before you leave this physical plane um and then there's a processing usually a processing of what that means as you gain some distance from it and especially i think as you say because i'm a musician and my father was a musician um and i did have the opportunity to work with him um on quite a few of his records in the background in that sense in a supportive role i you know because i can write music i would help with transcriptions or uh charts or whatever um but also played on a few of his records um and was just sort of generally around so um so those memories do become very precious and special um over time uh it's hard yeah i don't know whether i completely have an opinion about any of that stuff i mean it's just my life experience you know because i also went to uh, you know had a nice curry with him sometimes or went for a walk in, in where we lived uh, with the dog or you know watched tv watched a good movie or you know uh, made music with him just at home jammed or improvised or you know and sometimes he'd uh contribute to something i was doing as well so you know he just yeah that was i had a relationship with my dad and you know i love him and i miss him all the time because he had a particular sense of humor i sometimes i do think i wonder what he would think about where the world is at now you know um close to 10 years after he passed away you know it's nine years now so um so yeah it's interesting time the notion of life and death birth death uh, what is it to be a human what spirituality you know um these are the things that i'm i'm reflecting on all the time because i guess i mean i do yoga and i meditate so i have a particular perspective um within uh consciousness um and you know i'm reflecting on all of that you know what is actually going on here you know it appears like there's human beings with uh lives that are lived but it's perhaps a little more complex 
than that or a little simpler let's put it that way maybe it's just consciousness kind of reflecting itself objectifying conceptualization um but on a human level you know i i miss him greatly because he he brought so much to the way he was a you know he was a troubled person sometimes you know he had addictions and challenges like we all do um as humans but what he gave to the world through um his creativity was immense in my opinion and i think that's greatly missed because we need that i think it nourishes our souls you know we need people that are bringing something that that uh you know helps other people whether it's even just a, a great song that gives somebody uh gives somebody something in the moment you know that can be life changing so so yes i have no what i no idea what i'm talking about <laughs> You mentioned it earlier. You're working on a solo album of your own. Uh, you have a tentative title out there, Fake Humans and Real Dolls. Why don't you tell us a little bit what to expect on this album? Yeah, well, I think, you know, it ties into what I've just been trying to express in the sense that um, we are all collectively living in a very interesting time in history where uh, technology is coming more and more to the fore it's it's affecting how we live our lives how we think um how we experience things we've got artificial intelligence uh now infiltrating all kinds of aspects of how we function we've got crazy politicians and narratives left right and center you know that we're supposed to adhere to and if we don't we're very naughty boys or girls or whatever we're supposed to be called these days. And, um, you know, we might get canceled. Uh, you know, this just like, I I believe in sort of laissez-faire uh, or as the Chinese call it, wu-wei, you know, just like, just let people be what they want to be as long as they're not hurting other people. Why are we trying to control everybody and everything? Um, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist because that's a whole other thing. But, um just in real practical terms, in real terms, there's a lot going on. There are a lot of different agendas and manipulative elements in the media and manipulative elements outside of the media and all kinds of energies crisscrossing and fake things that we're supposed to believe in and real things that we're supposed to think are fake and all kinds of stuff. And it doesn't do, you know, things happening in a dualistic concept, in a, in a sort of right and wrong black and white instead of just being like okay i'm just gonna be me and i'm gonna be humble and i'm gonna be respectful and i'm i'm not gonna try and tell anyone else what to think or do you know so i mean there's all of this stuff going on and i think it's just a great time to to express attempt to express some of that um and you know it's it's challenging you know so, so it's been a long time coming but i think the record will be out next year and i'll be touring and that's really what i'm talking about I mean, obviously the play on words fake humans real dolls because it should be real humans fake dolls um but also there are uh real dolls out there if anyone cares to google it they will know what that is uh, <laughs> i don't recommend it no but if you if you are curious you know so there's a lot of stuff going on for all of us and um a lot of anger and war and you know inequality um 
but it doesn't have to be like that. You know, people sometimes people say, oh, it's just human nature. It's an aspect of human nature, but we can transcend that. We can we can resolve that. We can, but we don't. We haven't quite figured that out yet. So we're still humanity still functioning in this kind of I'm right and you're wrong. My God is better than your God. You know that justified. That means that my God told me I can kill you. You know, <laughs> like whatever. Okay, man. You know, if whatever you say, but please don't kill me. Like it doesn't have to be like that there's enough resources there's enough um you know there's enough for everybody and we can still have competition we can still have a free market economy we can still have all these things going on but we have to it's yeah it's it's interesting i you know i'm not sure what you think but i think it is an interesting time because we're simultaneously at the most amazing moment in history where we have so much potential on every level but we're also kind of going backwards into you know xenophobia and religious fundamentalism and um and also a denial of um responsibility uh in terms of uh you know narcissism and codependency and disconnection from the source of ourselves or spirit or whatever you know we choose to describe it so yeah it's a really great time to try and write songs about what's going on i agree with the uh no consequences nothing's my fault and, and you know don't upset me and this mantra that if you don't agree with me i'm gonna ruin your life yeah i mean i've had i've i've just been in a court case that i won uh, with some people that I was uh, collaborating with, who did exactly that to me, you know, because they saw the opportunity to to take something from me. Um, so, and they, you know, you think sometimes, and I, you know, it's not that I need to talk about it, but um, sometimes you think, well, we're friends, and that means I can trust you, or we're we have a an understanding. And and there is a lot of that about where people can present and themselves in a certain way, but that's not who they really are. And uh, so I think I, but then I take full responsibility because really, in hindsight, whenever those kinds of situations, I've been confronted with those kinds of situations. If I was really honest with myself, I w I was not respecting myself because I was seeing those behaviors, but in a denial that they were happening. Uh, because that's another aspect to it you can't be oh no if i just no of course they're not going to do that to me like you you know you can feel it you can sense people's authenticity sincerity and um but as an artist i don't want to sound too pretentious but you know as an artist you, you don't want to lose the innocence the childlike quality because that's where all that's where the creativity emerges from the innocence you don't want to have an agenda in creativity because then you're restricting um the flow of that creativity bubbling up from the deepest part of yourself which is where what we all share you know we all share the creative process we we're born the 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 physical bornness of the human condition is from something we don't even really understand uh traditionally speaking so so yes, I take full responsibility for my life. Uh, but within that, um, 
we do have to take care of ourselves and we do you know we there's a lot of negativity and uh darkness or whatever we want to describe it a lot of people that um are not awake to um sharing or not awake to respect the boundaries or whatever um and behavior and mental health issues and all kinds of stuff so yeah but we're all part of it so it's not about blaming other people either you know but it's um but it is about that openness and transparency transparency um and expressing oneself and and being present um anyway i'm just learning all the time so Fortunately, we have great music to help us get away from kind of those stresses of life and the the things that uh, tie us up. And you've presented a great tribute to your father's band, Cream, with Heavenly Cream, an acoustic tribute to Cream. Uh, Comes out November 3rd on Quarter Valley Records. Those are all the questions I have for you today, Malcolm. I had a great conversation learning about uh, this project and a little bit about yourself and hopefully in the future when you're solo album comes out we'll talk again that would be amazing thank you so much once again i want to thank malcolm bruce for coming on the rock is george podcast be sure to check out his latest release heavenly cream an acoustic tribute to cream out on november 3rd through quattro valley records head over to your favorite music streaming platform take a listen to what's available if you like what you hear buy a physical copy support the artists for all things malcolm bruce Head over to his official website, MalcolmBruceMusic.com. I also want to thank John Lappin of Lappin Enterprises and Quattro Valley Records for making this interview possible. You've been great. I've been George Dion. Discover your next favorite artist on the Rock is George podcast.